Bel Air as we gather in this service together. I know there's those in the room, those who are joining us online. We refer to this Sunday as Global Sunday. However, it's simply a reminder, uh, another reminder of something that we do every day. It's not just about once a year. This is about following Jesus every day and everywhere with everyone. In a little bit, you're going to hear from our guest speaker this morning who is working with an organization that is approaching holistically some of the most broken and unjust systems around the globe. You're going to be challenged. You're going to be sharpened. You're going to be inspired. And before we hear from her, we're in a moment going to hear from a group of our very own who have traveled. They've gone and served with our partners globally in Congo and Haiti and in Colombia. Reminder of the many ways in which God uses us, not just in the city, but around the world. But before we talk about the globe, I want to talk about our city just briefly. We have many partners in this city that we serve alongside. Many of you have already given towards helping provide a Thanksgiving meal and experience for 13,000 people in this city. Our goal was to raise $40,000 to make that a reality. I want to let you know how close we are to meeting that goal. We are just there, uh, $4,000 to go. Who knows what happened in the 9 and the 901, but just want to let you know that that's almost double of what we as a church raised for last year, and as many of you show up uh, early tomorrow morning to begin putting together those baskets, what a great reminder that we want to have an impact, not just around the globe, but also in our neighborhoods and in this city. So, we've got our panelists here today. We've got Jordan, Danielle, and Richard. Let's give a warm welcome for this panel here today. What's up, 11 o'clock? <laughs> you know, I think there's some even photos are going to be up from you out serving, uh, but as we walk through this panel, we're going to do it through the lens of a very famous passage in Scripture, Hebrews, or uh, in the Hebrew Scriptures, it's Micah 6, 8, where God says, this is what the Lord requires of you, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So we're going to hear about justice, we're going to hear about mercy, and we're going to hear about humility. And as you hear about these experiences halfway around the globe, they absolutely can apply to us today. So be listening how God can use these experiences in your everyday life. You know, I know that picture up above, uh, a man in blue in uniform, uh, Jordan, serves our city uh, as a member of uh, the LAPD, and we want to thank you for that service to our city. But you know, when, when people think of uh, going on global service teams, when they think about serving, they might have a very narrow view of what that could look like. It might just be singing songs, or it might just be painting walls. Uh, but we want to holistically approach communities and neighborhoods in a much broader way. And one of the ways in which, Jordan, you brought your education, your experience, your skills, was to speak towards the topic of justice, to speak to local law enforcement, to speak to military generals. And so I'd love for you to share, how did you see God moving through those people that you came alongside in regards to justice? This is a very, very, very unique and different view that I think most of us would consider. Yeah, it's, uh, it's unique and it's, it's certainly a unique partnership. Uh, the way Bel Air has been connecting with the Congo is a little unique from maybe some of the other partners that we have around the globe in that for the Congo, um, it's really a human issue that is causing the, the issues that it is facing. Um, it's not a country where it's, these are things that are going to be solved by necessarily food or medicine. Uh, it's not a natural disaster, but it's really this issue of corruption. And what we've found there is that it's just security is key. 
we can't develop any type of society or country without law enforcement and without that foundation. We forget that because we have it here and we take it for granted. Um, and so the issue over there so much is a lot of the good works that whether it's us or NGOs, the church in Bunia, uh, which is the city in Congo, um, anyone is doing is being undercut um, essentially because of the lack of security. It's kind of thing of, you know, <clears throat> what is the point of, you know, we're trying to teach people how to grow their business if extortion is just going to run their business into the ground or, you know, building schools for young girls, but they're not going to go because they're afraid of being kidnapped. And so what's interesting is the government in the last 10 years has been rebuilding its, um, the country after a 40-year civil war, but they understand that basically corruption is their biggest issue. Um, and in a kind of unprecedented thing, they, they've gone to the church and said, we're open to hearing what you guys have to say. And so that's where our partner, um, the Evangelical Church in Bunia, with Pastor James, who's come and preached here before a couple of years back, um, he has basically a foot in a door in a way that I've never seen where he has the government's ear, where he has the military and the police. And so God goes before us. So it's like way before we even got there, it's people within the government, within the military that are going, we have to do this differently. We have to have integrity in what we do. And then you have Pastor James and what he's doing um, and doing the, the same thing, which is just incredible um, to see and how unique that is. And it was such an unprecedented opportunity where, um, you know, our, our team, we have to be the first non-Congolese people ever to speak to their military, uh, which I didn't find out until afterwards. Um, but it was this kind of daunting task, you know, certainly for myself as a law enforcement officer, going into that um, and speaking to this group and uh, essentially the thesis of my talk basically saying corruption is what is keeping you in poverty. Um, you know, I didn't lead with that, but like built up to it a little bit. Um, you know, there's this thoughts and points. I was like, am I going to get arrested or killed for some of these things um, that I'm saying? But what ended up happening is it was myself, at least for the military portion, it was myself um, one of their head mag magistrates that kind of prosecutes their war crimes, and one of the general. And the general is a Christian guy. He's done church plants. And so it's so great to have the two other individuals basically speaking the same things that I were about. We need to live righteously. Like, we need to have integrity of what we do. We have a call to, to serve and to protect everyone, no matter where they come from, what tribe they're part of, any of that. And so it was a warm audience, and I didn't feel alone. And as a result, they were so receptive to some of the more practical applications that I was bringing to the table saying, here are ways to do that. The desire was there and to help reinforce that and then give some thoughts on it, it was just huge. So in so many ways outside of what we typically view, uh, an opportunity to serve globally, but you also share with me an experience in which you've brought this moment back with you and it's changed how you see justice back here. But you were sharing, I know, with a group of people and there was a phrase that a young man said that really struck with me. Why don't you share that with us today? Yeah, the, uh, towards the beginning of the trip, um, I'd befriended some um, young men in their 20s who are being trained by the church to become security guards. Um, so basically, a lot of these kids are former child soldiers that the church is giving vocational training to so they can go into the community and find jobs. And they'd ask, hey, would you come speak to us too? Like, Absolutely. So I'm kind of giving the talk that I uh, had prepared for the police and afterwards doing a question and answer session. And a young man stands up and he says, you speak of justice, but this is Congo. And that one statement basically became kind of the theme for our trip. It became this lens that we looked through for everything else that we were doing. And that understanding of just, for him, 
that going, no, but, but things are different here. And so my response to that, and I use that when I, and I spoke the same thing to the police and military, is essentially to say, I get that. I understand. I live in the same world. Um, the military, it's called the, it's called the fog of war. Um, my training officer, uh, when I was a new officer, he said, we don't live in a place, the, poli the police, we don't live in a place of moral black and white. We live in the gray. He said, we are in the place where there are no good decisions. Nothing goes right and is in the muck. And so I said to him, I understand that. I live in that world um, and serve in, in that area. And I hear a similar thing coming from the people I work with in South Central Los Angeles where I patrol. And I said, I get that. I do. However, at the same time, I'm called to follow Christ and to live righteously. And, and how do we do that? And for me, and what I put out there was, it is this verse that is my favorite verse and is what I spoke on the Congo is this Micah 6, 8. I said, if at all times I need to be asking myself, am I doing justice? You know, am I loving mercy? And using that, I said, I want us to use that as a compass, basically amidst the fog of moral uncertainty. You know, you mentioned to me the morning that you flew out to Congo, uh, the weight of what you were about to do. And I remember you saying, you said it a moment ago, that ultimately uh, it's about what Christ can do. It's more than just tactics or skills or education, but it's what Christ can do. And I know that there was a moment at the end of that trip where Pastor James, I believe, uh, said, you know, Jordan, why don't you give an invitation? Uh, now, of course, there was a chaplain who had already given his life to Christ, but how many people stood up to receive Christ that day? Yeah, for the military, it was, all, uh, it was all their command level, and every person who was not a chaplain stood up after uh, James and I. Uh, so every single person in that moment yeah, stood up. Cool. So, yeah, it's exciting. It's amazing to see how God is using you uh, halfway around the globe, and also as we shift continents to Haiti. And Danielle's been to Haiti no less than five times, serving with our partner there. And when we think about mercy, maybe perhaps all of us have a definition of what mercy is, but how has your experience in Haiti changed your understanding of mercy? Uh, yeah, I've been blessed to go back um, five years in a row and work with an organization over there called Haiti Outreach Ministries. And what I love about that organization is that they are living that out, um, loving kindness. Uh, they do that in three ways through education by providing schools. Uh, they do that uh, by providing clinics, uh, so there's healthcare, and uh, by providing churches for people to come and worship. And I think that in a country like Haiti, it's so easy to see the poverty and the brokenness and um, ways that you can help. And it's a blessing because I think here we're, we're problem solvers, we like to do stuff. And you can go there and tangibly see the ways that you can affect the people there, and it's empowering. And um, for me, though, coming back, you wonder, how do you do that here in L.A. Um, in places that you can't see it as much, um, and there's, where there's spiritual brokenness and emotional poverty? And so that just kind of changed um, the way that I look at things here and um, how we can be effective in having that holistic approach of um, loving on people here in, the, in L.A. You know, often we think about going somewhere else and we think about the impact that we'll have on others, but often it's the inverse. They have such an impact on us. So you've been five times. Your Understand Mercy has been enlarged. When you're back, can you give just a, a tangible example of how you've experienced that type of mercy back here at home? 
I think um, I just have a new compassion for my um, coworkers. Uh, I'm an ICU nurse at UCLA, and you see them acting this out every day in their jobs, and um, just that sometimes you know people don't deserve that or whatever there is that they're going through, and just having compassion for those people that are doing that, whether or not they're Christians. And then recently I joined um, a women's small group and just the love that they have for each other and that you can kind of come as you are and your lo that loving kindness that you feel from that. It's such a great reminder for me and hope, hopefully for us. We often compartmentalize and we think, oh yeah, that's the work that I do in Haiti. But to hear how that's impacting how you interact with your coworkers back here at home, what a great reminder that what we experience translates far beyond just the locations of where we go. You know, thank you. Who knows how many, six, seven, eight, ten years in a row, but five years in a row is phenomenal. Thank you for your service in that way. And Richard, you have gone twice to Columbia. This is your first time leading in this past year. And we think about doing justice and loving mercy and walking humbly. How have you, um, in your time in Columbia, how has that enlarged your definition of humility? Yeah, the, I think the thing that sticks with me most is in Medellin, we serve at a seminary. So the Columbia academic system, kids don't go from high school and then into college and get their bachelor's degree, and then they begin their divinity studies at the master's degree level. They come right out of high school and into seminary work. So they're 17, 18, 19 years old. And I really see God working through these young, really young kids in regard to humility and the respect that they're smart kids, they're bright kids, they're hardworking kids. They could, and they're influenced very much by Western culture and Facebook and selfies, and they could easily be pursuing their lives, their goals, their dreams, getting out of poverty. Many of them come from very impoverished backgrounds. But at this young age, in humility, they've chosen to serve Christ and pursue full-time ministry at 17, 18, 19 years old, and they do it with joy. And, they, and there's not just one or two of them. There's over 120 of these kids all this age, all serving God in humility in a way that's just, it's humbling and encouraging very much at the same time. I know this is an odd question for me to ask you in front of a group of people, but how have you become more humble uh, learning from them? I, the thing that really sticks out to me so much is that humility isn't something that you t turn on and turn off. It's an outflow of who you are in Christ. And I think, I think in America at times it's kind of confused with modesty. People are like, oh, good job. And you're like, oh, well. Thanks. And it's that kind of momentary modesty, and it's like you were saying about putting on and taking off. But these kids really remind me how we serve Christ in all we do. Philippians uh, 2.3 tells us that in humility, serve others always. And I don't think that, I was saying this in the earlier service, I don't know what the Greek is, but I think it, it means in humility, serve everyone as if they were better than yourself. So in a city that's as dense as this, we're always around people we should be serving. We should always have that, not just when we're at church, not just when we're on Thanksgiving as we're doing our, our one day of service a year, but we serve Christ every day everywhere with everyone. And it just really reminded me that that's not something that's here at Bel Air. That's the body of Christ. Mm. 
our team wanted you all to hear from these three because these are just average men and women who are part of this church. They're not superstars. They're not all-stars. These aren't, you know, the, the special forces that we send out, uh, though you've had some yeah, particular right. training in that <laughs> regards. But, uh, but all that to say is that every single one of us can be used in tremendous ways, not just in this city, but around the globe. And it, perhaps it's not even you traveling to that space, but maybe it's simply praying for those teams. Maybe it's supporting the teams. Maybe it's learning. There's all ways that we can engage uh, with our global partners, but it took every single one of them stepping out in courage and just saying, okay, I'm going to show up. I'm going to show up. And to see what God has done in and through them, I just marvel. And who knows what God will do in and through you, and as this inspires perhaps some of us after the service to learn more about our global partners. If you have your, your bulletins, your weeklies, open those up. You'll notice on the inside left flap ways in which you can be praying. I just want you to keep that open for the service. There's some tangible ways in which you can serve and come alongside and engage with our global partners. Perhaps if I could just going. jump in, yeah. just as an encouragement to everybody, two years ago, I was sitting right where you're sitting right now. Someone up here said, open your, open your brochure. I went out on that patio, and I'd never even considered mission trips before, and I just started asking questions. We're going to be out there. Just come out and ask questions and pray about how you can serve God in a, in a bigger sense. Maybe it's not this year. Maybe it's not globally. Maybe it's somewhere locally, but just come out and see. It changed my life. And I'm serious. It was two years ago, this Sunday, this room. Well, let's give thanks to this panel as they, as they grab a seat. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Well, as we hear from this panel, I want to let you know that we do, as I mentioned earlier, have a guest speaker today. Perhaps some of you have heard of International Justice Mission. It's a phenomenal ministry and organization that is uh, centered in Washington, D.C., and they're doing some frontline work on some of the biggest issues of our time. And we have Jocelyn White in a moment who's going to pop on up. She serves as the Director of Church Mobilization. In addition to that, she has founded a group called uh, Slavery No More. She's also part of the LA Metro Task Force on Human Trafficking. The very things that we see in the news that perhaps we have no idea how to engage with, we have no idea how to get involved with, we have no idea how we can have an impact, she's on the front lines with it and is actually going to invite us to a different perspective to not only see these things, but to actually take action. So let's give a warm beller welcome this morning to Jocelyn White. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> oh, can you hear me? Football Sunday. So, well, hopefully we'll have you out of here by fourth quarter, see Chicago come back for the win. <laughs> well, it is truly an honor to be here. I have a special place in my heart for Bel Air. A few years ago, I had an opportunity to organize some National Day of Prayer services with Pastor Kim. And I just love everyone that I meet from Bel Air. And you know, it's been quite a journey for me to actually get here. Just about a month ago, I ended up in the hospital with both an, a ruptured ovarian cyst and a ruptured appendix. Very efficient of my body, but very hard on my body as well. And you know, I faced a lot of complications during my recovery where I wrestled with my faith in my head and my heart, but I could not argue with what I saw the body of Christ do. 
Tamara, one of your deacons, is a friend of mine, and when she heard I went into emergency surgery, she went and brought my husband food when he didn't have food for hours, and he got kicked out of the recovery room when my blood pressure reached under about 70. And then her husband, Jeff, drove around just looking for him, trying to make sure he wasn't alone. And I believe some of you here at Bel Air prayed for me. So it has just been so moving and touching to see so many people wrap around our family through such a difficult time. And upon our, my discharge, the doctor said it would be about six weeks for me to recover. And to be honest, I thought it would take much longer because I could barely get out of bed or brush my hair, and I had to reintroduce food to my body, starting with ice chips and four ounces of chicken broth at a time. So I struggled with whether or not to tell Randy to keep this speaking engagement or not, but then I remembered everyone here at Bel Air, people who were praying for me every day, people who were supporting our, and loving on our family, and so by the grace of God, I am truly thankful that I'm actually able to stand here in front of you today because today actually marks six weeks of my recovery. Yeah. These past few weeks, Pastor Drew has really cast vision for Bel Air, right? So what it would look like to follow Jesus every day, everywhere, and with everyone. And like you, I've been stretched every week. He would show some things that we could do to practice. But to be honest, I automatically went to the thing that was easiest for me to do, or the thing that I could check off my list and really require no power from God at all. Now, I know it's not exactly what Pastor Drew was going for, so I started to reflect on that journey. And it brought me to a greater understanding of the context in which the prophet Micah preached. Micah addressed those who are supposed to be following God, and instead of following God, he found idolatry, and he found violence and oppression. In Micah 1.5, it says, all this is for the transgression of Jacob, which is referring to the northern kingdom of Israel. Is it not Samaria, which is the capital of Jacob? And what are the high places of Judah? Are they not of Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap of ruins in the fields, places for planting a vineyard. I will put down her stones into the valley, and I will uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces, and all her pay as a harlot shall be burned with the fire. All her idols I will lay desolate, for she gathered it from the pay of a harlot, and they shall return to the pay of the harlot." And similarly, the prophet Isaiah, one of Micah's contemporaries, parallels what Micah says and addresses God's people, in particular the religious people that were outwardly known to be faithful in their praying and their fasting. Isaiah 58.3 says, In fact, in the day of your fast you find pleasure and exploit all of your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. So by the time we reach Micah 6.8, Micah is addressing God's people, and he is very aware that some are living in complete chaos and fear, and that some of those who claim to be godly and religious are actually causing exploitation. And so in Micah 6.8, he says, he has told you, O oh man, what is good, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly before your God. And I think it's a little bit easier for us to grasp what it is to love kindness or to love mercy and to walk humbly before God. So I'd like to just pause for a little bit and consider what it would be like to do justice as we follow Jesus every day, everywhere, and with everyone. I want us to think back to the book of Exodus when God calls upon Moses to lead and bring the people who are enslaved in Israel out of slavery. 
because I believe that justice is truly an inseparable part of the biblical narrative. Again, Isaiah parallels what Micah says in Isaiah 1.17. Seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, and plead for the widow. And Isaiah asks, is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of the wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? And in the New Testament, it is echoed again by one of Jesus' disciples, Luke. Woe to you Pharisees, because you give a God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs. But you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. So it seems very clear that religious ceremony can be done in a way that's very far from God's heart, and in fact create a barrier from us actually serving the poor and the oppressed. So what would it be like if we did justice as we followed Jesus every day? Now, before we talk about justice, I think it's important to talk about injustice, because injustice in America is everything and anything, right? So, for example, my husband and I, we came home from a vacation and noticed that the neighbor below us and behind us had just moved in and was doing renovations. And we have a back hill that has lots of trees and bushes, and we like to just sit and soak in the view. And as we looked, we realized that our neighbor sent his workers over, over our fence to cut down some trees and bushes. Who does that, right? Come on. Now, as tragic as that is, it's not quite the injustice the Bible is actually talking about. See, the type of the injustice that the Bible is talking about is a particular type of sin. It's when someone who is stronger tries to take away all that God has intended, their life, their liberty, their dignity, the fruits of their love and their labor. See, there are victims of violent injustice that are suffering today, not because they don't have access to education, medical care, food or shelter. They are suffering because of the intentional abuse of other people. I work for a ministry called International Justice Mission, or IJM, and we have teams of Christian investigators, lawyers, and social workers, community activists, and other professionals working to protect the poor from everyday violence. And our vision is to rescue thousands, to protect millions, and prove that justice for the poor is possible. We're known mostly for our work against slavery, and you know what? Slavery is cruel. Slavery is violent. Slavery is evil. And we have met thousands of people who have been enslaved, who've been stuck in prisons without any official charges, who are victims of sexual assault, but not because of any fault of their own, simply because they are poor and extremely vulnerable to exploitation and abuse. But what are some of the injustices you may see throughout LA? See, it turns out that the average age of forced prostitution in LA and in America is 12 to 14 and that 80% of victims of human trafficking come from our very own foster care system. For women and girls ages 15 to 44, we are at greater risk of death or physical harm than cancer, motor vehicles, malaria, and war combined when it comes to gender-based gender violence. There are over 35 million people who are enslaved today. That's 625 times the amount of people that the Dodgers Stadium can hold. 
How are we supposed to seek justice, love mercy, and walk humbly before God for them? I think it looks a lot like what Bel Air is doing with a lot of your local and global ministries. Perhaps you are a foster or adoptive parent, or perhaps you pour into at-risk youth or underserved people groups. Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly before God as you follow Jesus every day and out everywhere. Everywhere consists of our own households, our own city, community, the whole world. John 3:16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that we could live eternally with him. So the whole reason that Jesus came, died, and rose is so that the world would experience his love and his goodness. But what do you think is the most difficult thing for people to believe about the Christian faith? I think the hardest thing for people to believe about the Christian faith is that God is good because they're in so much pain. There is so much pain everywhere around us. For example, a couple of years ago, we sent a group of investigators to explore Lake Volta, which was known to have a large community of forced child laborers. Lake Volta is the largest man-made lake in the world. And in our short few weeks there, we estimated about 2,000 adults and children that were caught in the fishing industry, and that about 59% of the children were believed to have been trafficked. Boys who should have been in kindergarten were instead working 10, 12 plus hours a day, seven days a week. Their legs were covered in thick scars from motor accidents and dangerous fish, and their hands were calloused and hard from pulling rope and mending nets. They were malnourished, yet their arms and their bodies were overdeveloped from the years of manual labor. And because of the many superstitions in Ghana, Ghanaians are deathly afraid of the water. They don't enter the water for recreation or fun at all. In fact, you can imagine when the boys are forced to dive under the water with no swim lessons and no goggles and cannot come out until the work is done, how afraid they must be. Many of them drown and are left to rot in the lake. Our investigators pose as business owners looking for cheap labor. So as our investigators went out, one would approach the slave master and the other would collect evidence from the young boys. They were all scared and barely had any life behind those eyes. But you know what? There was one courageous boy, Gabriel, who spoke up. He said, please take me away from this wicked man. He has beaten me for nine years. And he lifts up the shirt of this young boy next to him who turned, looked up to be about five years old and said, look, he's starting to beat the young ones too. Please take me away from this wicked man. Our investigator had to keep his cover and he had to drive the boat away from Gabriel that day. But he would pray that God would give him the opportunity to rescue him. We opened iGEM Ghana in 2014 with the mission of ending child slavery on Lake Volta. And this past March, we set out on our very first rescue operation that was going horribly. The boats were getting stuck and it was unclear our partners were actually on our side. And back at our office, the remaining staff members were praying. Included there was our field office director and our initial investigator. And in the middle of the prayer time, one of my colleagues received a text message. And instead of interrupting prayer, he decided to pray what he received. Thank you, God, that we got Gabriel. 
And in that moment, our field office director did the forbidden and actually opened his eyes, just in time to see our investigator collapse to his knees and praise God in thanksgiving. This young boy stretched out his hands as a sign of courage and gives all of us at IJM hope. That day, God used IJM not only to rescue Gabriel, but 10 other young boys. I don't know about you, but watching the news the past couple of weeks has really stirred up a lot of fear and anxiety and despair for me. So what can actually bring us hope today? in Los Angeles, in the midst of tragedy and great suffering, I realize we can clearly see God's presence through his people. Jordan serves as an officer with the LAPD and their mission includes enhancing public safety. He literally puts his body as a physical shield between violent criminals and those who need protected. And he does this in Watts in Southern California where he has the highest percentage of single parent homes. It is rampant with gangs, which you know means that there is illegal drugs, illegal weapons, and human trafficking. And not only that, he extends what he does to Congo, where the cycle of violence is endless and assistance is scarce. But what's Micah's response? Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly before God. So in the midst of forewarning the Israelites, Micah reveals the Lord's wonderful promise of a glorious future. He would establish peace and he would bring justice to the earth. Micah 7.15 says, as in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show them wonders. Likewise, the prophet Isaiah says, your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and he will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose water never fails. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer, repair of broken walls, and restorer of streets and dwellings. See, these promises wait for us as we do justice every day and everywhere, even in the midst of tragedy and chaos. And what about doing justice with everyone? This past June, I took a group of pastors to Ghana to encourage our staff and our clients. And when we met our clients, I was struck by how small they were. They were the same size as my own five-year-old son, and their hands were calloused, and it really brought up a lot of anger and despair in me. But those feelings were sidelined by the hugeness of their smiles, the sound of their laughter, and their fondness of my paper airplanes. As we drove away, we all were excited that God had brought freedom to them and was putting them on the road of restoration. Now this all changed the next morning as we packed our vans, headed to Lake Volta, our field office director gathered us together. He notified, notified us that the police were on their way to get our boys. 
It was completely against the law. They had signed no official releases, and all of the proper agencies did not say that they could go. And we were hours away from that home. A team from our headquarters was already on their way, but unlikely not going to get there before the police. So with our group of pastors was our field office director, our director of investigations, and our director of aftercare, our most seasoned leaders, and they were the farthest away from our clients. They told us that we had to pray. So we entered into a time of prayer that felt like a battle. Prayer felt like a forceful weapon. God, please do not let them take our boys. We were praying out of desperation, not out of discipline. And the only contact we had was Father Matthew. He had never experienced anything like this. And he would call us every few minutes with updates and say, they're on their way. And we would always respond, Father Matthew, don't let them in. It is against the law. And he would respond, I will not let them in. I will not let them in. And he would keep calling, they're almost here. They are down the road. They are coming to the gate. And we would always say, do not let them in. It is against the law. We did not have M16s, but we had prayer that called upon the power of the Almighty God. So we prayed for a shield. We prayed for flat tires. We prayed for them to be confused. We prayed for them to not get our boys. Please, God, not the boys that we just laughed with, played with, and played paper airplanes with. Finally, Father Matthew called, and he said, they are here. And the last thing that we heard from Father Matthew was, okay, I will not let them in. God rescued these boys, and now we were desperately praying he would protect them and keep them safe. And despite this new threat from the police, Father Matthew did not let them in. He did not let them in that day or the day after when they came back. We have seen God do miraculous things like this all over the world. We have seen God use our teams and the local governments to reduce the number of minors available for sex in Cebu, Philippines by 79%. We have seen the largest rescue in the world, 514 people, which included 23 children, the youngest eight. We've had the joy of restoring over 500 widows back to their land. And we've seen convictions in Guatemala for child sexual assault increase by 1,000%. We can bear witness to what it looks like to do justice every day, everywhere, and with everyone. And at IJM, we believe that the hard work of justice must begin with the hard work of prayer. So we have tried to keep prayer foundational to our work, to our work against violence, to our work to protect the poor, to the work of freeing and restoring lives. In our offices all around the world, we pause for an hour to remind ourselves that it is not us but God who is at work, and we can't do any of it without him. Last year, I met a 72-year-old woman, Lehua, after a speaking engagement. She was just visiting the church, and she said God had a surprise for her. You see, she had just lost her job, and she was feeling useless. But then she heard of the work of IJM and that we prayed every day, and she said, Jocelyn, now I have a reason to get up every day. 
So Lehua does the work of ending slavery by powerfully praying with us every single day. You see, we not all, may not all be able to physically go to rescue slaves or go to, the, to Watts or Congo or Haiti or Colombia, but we can unleash the power of God through prayer. And so this year, Bel Air has emphasized prayer. Hundreds of you have committed to praying for Bel Air every day, every single day and every hour and every minute. How has prayer changed Bel Air? And how has prayer changed you? I am sure that this room is full of stories of how God miraculously answered your prayers. Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly before our God every day, everywhere, and with everyone. Now, I know that you can hear injustices like slavery and feel bolted to your seats in fear and hopelessness. Perhaps you're like, why bother? Evil is going to happen anyway. Now, this is all very understandable and natural, but everything that is understandable and natural is not necessarily godly. You see, God often starts not where we are comfortable, but oftentimes where we have unbelief, where we struggle, where we feel it's too late or hopeless. And I don't think any of our clients or communities where we serve feel that our prayers or our resources mean nothing. I don't think Danielle will ever stop being a nurse or going to Haiti because there's always going to be a need. I don't think that she, she has stories that she doesn't want to share with you. And I don't think that Richard would ever say that his trip to Colombia was useless. In fact, he has come back changed and full of passion and direction. Have you ever lacked passion or direction or purpose in your life? A common tourist stop in Ghana is Almina Castle. Almina Castle served as a very important trading post during the Atlantic slave trade. And thousands upon thousands of slaves were held there underneath the castle. There was only one vent, which meant many suffocated or died due to the unsanitary conditions. And it also appears that this vent was near this door, the door to the church. Each Sunday, churchgoers would passed by this vent and that awful stench of unbathed bodies, feces, and corpses. They heard people begging for them to stop and help for water and for air. They heard the cries of mothers who lost their children, those who were in pain from sitting in fetal position every day for months and who knows how long, and wails from those who were actually losing their mind. Every Sunday, churchgoers passed this fence and continued through the church doors to worship God. Some maybe chose to ignore what they knew to be true. Some perhaps felt hopeless and thought there was nothing that they can do. Likewise, today Ghana is full of people that love Jesus. In fact, it is not uncommon to see boats and signs with the name of God or Jesus on them. But these are the same places where exploitation and abuse occur. Or what about us? What did you drive by today on your way to church? Did you see it? Did you smell it? Did you hear it? Did you make a plan to do something about it? Will you stop and hear the cries of the boys in Ghana? Will you stop and do justice for those crying out for help? The 12-year-old girl stuck in a brothel in the Philippines and the family stuck in the brick factory in Chennai. The boys, just like Gabriel, who cry out, please take us away from this wicked man. 
Will we, as the church, show up so that they could experience the love and the goodness of God? See, the good news is that there are already many of you that are responding to, injust- responding to injustices today. Randy and Barry actually showed up at your congressman's office to speak on behalf of the boys in Lake Volta and the girls stuck in brothels. As we rescued Gabriel and got him safely to our boat, he immediately turned, on, turned to us and said, you have to come back. You have to come get my brother. You have to come back. As long as there are boys enslaved on that lake in Ghana, and as long as there are girls and families trapped in slavery, and as long as there is injustice and oppression, we have to go back. And today, I would like to invite all of you here at Bel Air to partner with us to make sure that we are in fact able to go back, to make sure that we are able to bring rescue and restoration to the poor and the oppressed. I'm asking for you to be a freedom partner, which means committing a monthly contribution of at least $24 a month. The reason this monthly support is so crucial is that it communicates to our investigators and our social workers and our lawyers that we can go back every day. When my husband and I signed up as a freedom partner, we found comfort that our smallest monthly bill provided for investigators and social workers and lawyers to go back day after day, month after month. See, the problem of injustice doesn't go away, so those that are on the front lines of freedom, they can't go away either. So if you'd like to sign up to be a freedom partner, please come see us at the IJM table after the service. For some of you, your heart is stirred to action, your heart is stirred for justice. Perhaps you are moved to support a ministry here at Bel Air. Even if your heart is not moved to support IJM, then I would encourage you to support Bel Air partners, or perhaps someone that you know wants to go on a mission trip. Will you take the time to stop by at least three tables today and not walk by? Now, if you cannot make financial commitments, we understand. But will you commit to prayer? Pray alongside prayer partners like Lehua, who are committed to praying for people like Father Matthew, for kids like Gabriel, for those all over the world. See, the opportunities for us to respond to slavery or to help the poor and the oppressed are endless. The question is, will you seize them? Our Vice President of Regional Operations in South Asia, Saju Matthew, says, our contribution to the work of justice cannot be measured by human instruments. You may feel like your prayers or your $24 a month is very little, but so did the little boy with five loaves and two fish and the widow who gave her two mites. But nothing is small or ordinary in God's hands He will make your gift extraordinary. Micah challenges us to do justice, to love kindness, and walk humbly before our God. So my prayer is that as we leave this service, we would continue to hear the cries of the oppressed in LA, in our communities around the world, and no longer be able to walk by anymore. Do justice every day, everywhere, and with everyone. We have a God that calls us to this mission. He's with us in this mission, and he transforms us to be more like him through the mission. So let's rescue thousands, 
protect millions and prove that justice for the poor is possible. And let's do it together. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are just, that you are full of love and mercy, and that you have shown us what it truly means to be humble. God, would you inspire all of our hearts today to follow after you amidst the chaos and the tragedy, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly as you transform us and bring your love and goodness to a world that is hurting and in waiting to feel your love and your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.